the numbers that are coming out of these listings are actually quite not in favor of listing your coin on one of these big centralized sort of platforms like uh, Coinbase or, you know, I'm, I mean, I haven't read into other analysis, analysis. Mm-hmm. and things like that, but it sort of caught my attention because there is this myth of when you navigate the DeFi space and 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 etc everybody's always saying you know when this when that when this when that thinking that this would be the holy grail but ultimately it's not this episode of today at ember is a live episode it's been recorded from our twitter spaces which you can see us at join ember jason and i get in a wide variety of discussions ranging from apecoin being listed on multiple exchanges at once how venture capitalism has affected the crypto sector, and much more. You can always catch us on our Twitter spaces and interact with us and the community live. I hope you guys enjoy the show. Today at Ember, it's hosts Rob Velossi and Jason Dominique and their guests are not financial advisors unless otherwise disclaimed. The content on Today at Ember is for educational and entertainment purposes only and merely cite their own personal opinions. Know that all investments involve some form of risk. Please work with an investment professional. And now onto the show. So thanks everyone for joining. Rob and I had a few uh, topics that we wanted to go over. But first of all, I think what's important uh, is to maybe... um, you know, rewind a little bit and let you guys know about Today at Ember Live. So there's two formats. And today was going to be sort of the first show of Today at Ember Live. Last week uh, was sort of a bit of a unique middle ground for uh, Today at Ember uh, in between our two formats because I mean, our goal with uh, having guests and everything isn't so much to have or feature, you know, some of our team members, but uh, we felt and it's been so highly requested to bring uh, James uh, on on the show that we felt it'd be really a, a, a cool guest to have. And so that you see a, a little bit, you know, where he comes from, how he joined, also you know, learn a little bit about about him and what he's working on and his vision, you know, for some of the things that we're working on at the moment. But generally speaking, the season two format of today at Ember is really uh, is really to bring, you know, guests that are not part of, of our team and that are uh, out there in the crypto ecosystem. And ultimately, uh, these guests will either have a direct or indirect sort of relationship with us. Uh, Maybe they are going to be actors of significant importance or that we feel will have a significant importance in the space and we want to give them a voice. And generally speaking, most of these shows, considering, you know, we're bringing on people outside of our uh, team and it's ju- not just you know Rob and I. It's uh, it's been proven very difficult, obviously, to have these guests 
you know, fit into our schedule. So the approach is for us to be uh, flexible in, in regards to uh, their agenda and their availability. So most of these with guests will be recorded in advance and we will we will do some post-production on it and then we will upload it on all our different platforms, you know, from, from video platforms on YouTube, Spotify now has videos of our, of our shows and all of the podcast platforms that are out there where we distribute today at Ember. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's the first format. And so I just want to make sure, you know, we're managing expectations in regards to today at Ember so that you don't expect sort of these shows, uh, at least the one with guests to be streamed live. And in regards to today at Ember Live, so the one that we actually do on a you know recurring basis, but obviously we didn't start on the highest note, but I'll let Rob uh, brief you in. Hopefully his internet will be uh, on par just for voice. But yeah, I'll, I'll let Rob sort of brief you in our our thoughts around TAE Live and how we intend on on uh, doing this. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Hopefully, my internet does meet everyone's expectations to be able to have this conversation. Not sure what's going on there on my end, but yeah, we wanted to have two different formats. One where you know, considering the first episode that we had for the the season premiere, as Jason mentioned earlier, it's you know was more of sort of a special kind of live and we're bringing on james so we wanted to have that to be you know for the opener show to to be a little more familiar to people that have been listening and also to set the bar for what they can expect when it comes to season two so the pre-recorded episodes they'll be recorded as in you know in conjunction and then when they're released those will be staggered we'll have those kind of as an intermediary between the live episodes. The the episodes where we're doing an interview, of course, will be focused on them, their background, what you saw what happened with James, how that relates to Ember, etc. The today at Ember Live is we want to have a more of a laid back approach where, you know, it's basically where Jason and I, you know, when we first decided to design the show, you know, we're just processing a lot of back and forth on what the show is and, and what should we talk about. The first season, of course, you know, because we were launching the product and launching the launching the token and, and we really wanted to be an insight of we've kind of, you know, we're beating a dead horse. We mentioned this of, you know, taking something from ideation to launch. So for season two though, now that we're, you know, kind of up and running and we're doing deliverables, we don't want to sound as if we're beating our own drum all the time. We're these are not just going to be, these aren't really project updates per se, because, you know, there's, there's only so much to talk about when it comes to Ember that, you know, it sounds like we're beating our own drum. There's level of redundancy there. You know, it just isn't exciting. And, you know, over a long enough period of time, it starts to lose, it's a little long in the tooth. So, but Jason and I have these really great discussions about startups and the sector and what's going on with crypto and, and with DeFi and now CDFi. And what's happening in the space. And since we're also big lovers of podcasts ourselves, and we use that, I mean, I don't know about, I'm speaking for myself, but I'm sure Jason as well, is it's a primary form of entertainment for me. Because if I'm working or whatever I'm doing, I'm always listening to some sort of podcast, whether that's, um, you know, that's what's the stuff that's on the fintech world or whether it's Rogan or any of those type of people and, you know, tech shows. 
And being such a big fan of it, Jason decided, look, you know, we should talk more about the sector, have more of our personalities kind of be out there, talk about what's going on in current events, while simultaneously always kind of bringing it back a little bit of how it relates to Ember without it sounding like we're beating our own drum all the time. Because really what goes on in the sector as a whole, and anyone who runs a startup knows, to keeping uh, you know, your, your finger on the pulse of, of the sector and, and following market trends, or at least being aware of where they are, uh, is, is integral to, to running a successful business. And when you're lucky enough, as I am and the rest of this team, to be surrounded by people that are very insightful, they have different backgrounds and thoughts, and they have their you know, finger on the pulse, and having these discussions with one another, I think that, you know, and I think Jason believes this too as well, a lot of the team does, is it really makes for, you know, a compelling listen. Something that's entertaining, something that's fun, a little more laid back. Us having, you know, honest truths about what we think about the sector as a whole and what's going on, whether it's, you know, from, from the inspiring to the ludicrous to the, you know, something that we think is just hysterical. And, you know, because a lot of the stuff that happens in this space, especially with some of these markets, we think are, you know, absolute, you know, absolute insanity sometimes. I was going to use, I was going to say batshit something, you know, bat crazy, but that sometimes that's just part of what, what happens, you know, in the sector. And, and especially now with markets today and the world's a crazy place between a pandemic and now almost on the verge of World War Three, that, you know, it, it's almost become a parody of itself now. But I think this makes for compelling discussions and, and something that we believe is really entertaining and, there's not really, I believe, a show that's able to, that kind of fits in that niche to where we're launching a product, we're doing a startup, we have some and really great ideas, but also too, you know, we have that some unique property about it, but also talking about all of these things that are outside factors that still relate to what we're doing. So you guys can expect that from the live show where you're going to see more of a traditional interview style when it comes to the recorded show. Wouldn't you agree on that, Jason? That kind of sums it up what we're looking to do here. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's kick it off without further ado. And also, now that we're on spaces, this is going to be, and hopefully, this is going to be a little bit more interactive uh, than just you know you and I bouncing off each other. And I think that would be of great worth if some of you do actually join uh, this discussion. So the first topic that we thought you know was going to be quite interesting not necessarily on the surface, but more underneath, sort of digging through what our thoughts are on this subject at the moment, which is the ApeCoin. So that was an interesting launch. So, you know, being a startup founder in the DeFi space uh, myself, looking at the work that is involved uh, launching something, you know, the thought uh, that needs to be invested or put through in regards to let's say distribution or partnerships or you know getting listed etc plus obviously you know the idea that the eight coin itself if you look at the entity behind it and how it's been uh sort of uh launched in the american market because you know there are regulations and uh, compliance, um, things that need to be uh, looked into. And I thought, you know, there were some pretty interesting things that, um, and you know what, they are being sort of flagged, not just by us, but quite a lot of mainstream media out there. And 
I think the first thing maybe we should touch base on, Rob, is, and I went a bit fiery on this, and I wasn't the only one in our sort of chat, internal chat on, on Slack, is basically distribution of the ApeCoin. So I don't know if any of you took the time to look into the distribution of the coin itself, but it's a pretty funny thing. Um, do you have anything to add uh, initially on on this uh, matter, Rob? Well, I mean, do you want to talk a little bit too about the guys behind it and really who was founding it too as well? Because I think that also adds a certain layer of, you know, me coming from, you know, when I, last year in December, which is not long ago, I guess maybe now it's almost April, geez, time flies, when I was at uh, the Decentral Conference, the one thing I was so, you know, I guess I was mystified by where the entire focus of this show, there's a lot of moon boys and, and you know, people with Ferraris outside. I had no idea how to drive them and a lot of young kids and stuff. But it was such a hard push for NFTs. I mean, they were pushing NFTs. And the whole, the whole show was NFT driven. I mean, I didn't really see anything there that really, or, or play to earn games. There's a couple of those. But it was, they had like an NFT gallery. And I do understand too, as well, that Art Basel is it was that same time of year. So I, I guess I could see where they have some kind of conjunction with one another. But they are pushing it so hard. And then now, as you can see, and you know, the founder of Ethereum also as well, where you know NFTs are basically on their way out. And you know, since these guys, and I, I mean, well, go ahead. Let, let me just interrupt. I mean, let's let's be clear on NFTs. They're they're not going out let's be precise that it's a specific area of of nfts yes yes the actual idea of something that's non-fungible token of course that's going to be here to stay there's a lot of really exciting stuff behind that that could actually help that has real utility but But the the idea just like you've mentioned you know around this profile picture and you know this ten thousand primates (laughs) yeah you know things like that is something that Maybe let's back up a little bit. I mean, you know, obviously the Board Ape Yacht Club with uh, CryptoPunks and all the originators, they're, they're always going to remain OGs. You know, they're considered as blue chips and things like that because they were the first, you know, because they have historical um, significance. Meaning. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. But ultimately, I think where you want to sort of bring this, uh, Rob, is is the fact that it's the equivalent, you know, in terms of speculation or pump and dump of, you know, the non-utility focused sort of uh, project, uh, but in the NFT space. Yeah, exactly. And so you know, it, that sort of in that art primate sort of area where, you know, it reminds me of the tulip craze, you know, in, in the Netherlands there, what was that, in the 1500s or something, where bulbs were going for, you know, five times the price of a house. And, you know, of course, that market does have a bottom to it, and you have a big race to that. So the people behind it, the reason I'm bringing this full circle now is that, you know, when it comes to ApeCoin, you know, these guys have their background in that primate NFT space. So you can see where their background is and what their methodology is and how they operate. And I think that's what what's makes the distribution model so so interesting. So one of the points that I'm bringing forward is is essentially the distribution, and and it's touching on many uh, aspects because the way the coin has actually been launched is that it's been launched through a a DAO sort of 
approach because, I mean, if you stay on the surface, a lot of this could potentially make sense. But the issue here is when you, so the Dow is specifically and purely, I mean, it's beyond my opinion. It's really to be somewhat compliant because if you're going to launch a coin or a token in the sort of US space, there is too much uncertainty in regards to is it a security or not a security. So basically what they did is that they created an entity that nobody owns through the legal side of things, you know, through the front end jurisdiction type of approach. So the entity, the 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 corporate entity, but the actual ownership of the token themselves in the mechanism of the DAO and the distribution and, and the drop and all those sorts of things basically concentrates more a significant amount of the ownership. And then you could say that, and ultimately it's more than you could say, it's it's purely you know, ownership in terms of a DAO is not ownership, but let's say power. Equity um, almost. The majority of the equity is is controlled by... It's VC-backed, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So A16Z is basically the launch partners and, you know, all these VCs were given basically about 14% of the distribution of this token. So essentially... What they're doing is that, you know, obviously when it's it, it got launched, it had massive swings. But the issue here is, is that it's putting some sort of power problem around this type of distribution and DAOs. So yeah, this is obviously, it's not equitable in terms of distribution, uh, obviously in regards to the, the the ownership of it. But ultimately, I think the final sort of judgment on on this will land on the public opinion of DAOs themselves, you know, and how this is basically a joke. So that was, I think, uh, a very important thing that I felt most people needed to know, and most people will probably not dig a little bit deeper. I mean, Bloomberg, most of the big names in finance media have caught on to this and have begun, you know, talking about it. To scrutinize it, especially. Yeah, because when you're talking about, you know, basically on day one, we're looking at about $1.5 billion in, in sales, you know, a lot of people will pay attention. And this kind of distribution is absolute nonsense. So I don't know if anyone here, you know, that is present has been following this coin launch, uh, obviously we have other topics that we want to, and even some other angles to this things as simple as overnight being listed, let's say on, on Binance and essentially well, on all also platforms. on all, all platforms, like overnight, it was just, you know, automatically just kind of put on everywhere. So it does feel like let's get on that bandwagon. You know, it's, it's, it's going to pump like crazy and it, dumped overnight because uh you know the distribution of it basically gave people tokens. select group yeah people that were uh holding those nfts uh the the board eight yacht uh club 
ape, if you had one, then you automatically got, you know, 10,000 of them. There was a lot of scams out there where people sort of borrowed. They knew that was coming. Some people did not know that was coming, that drop was coming. And there's different, you know, mechanism out there in, in the DeFi world where you can leverage uh, essentially the ownership of your NFTs because they're blue chip and you can make loans against them and things like that. So some people were able to sort of borrow that NFT. And while the drop happened on that second, they returned the NFT, but they kept those 10,000 tokens of that ape coin and they borrowed many of them. You know, all of these things uh, are coming to light and it's good. You know, we're learning uh, from those initiatives and, and et cetera, but um, it's super interesting. And I think what it does also, it, I think if we want to bring it all, you know, full circle back to Ember, ultimately it just shows how we paid so much importance in those few weeks, few months to surround ourselves with the right people in terms of tokenomics in terms of uh, legal, in terms of compliance, making the right moves, et cetera. So our endeavor and what we've put you know, forward isn't a joke. You know? this, no one can pick us apart and say, you know what, this, what these guys are doing is, is, is a farce. Yeah, I think also, too, that you, know, you can tell between <laughs> some of the considerations between us and something like ApeCoin is that they were obviously not designed with longevity in mind. But I wonder what your thoughts, though, are, Jason, is that, you know, this, this something like this happening for the first time over something that's been VC-backed when it comes to the distribution model. I mean, it does follow in sort of some of, you know, when it comes to the distribution, like some of these meme tokens, you know, back in the meme craze where there was one person or, you know, even with Dogecoin sometimes where they, you know, there's a particular handful of people that had the largest amount of, you know, equity in, in a project, but then they just happen to blow up because of, you know, just word of mouth, where something like this was directly VC-backed. Where it does remind me, though, is that, and then we can talk about this, too, about, you know, how beneficial is a listing, you know, being listed on exchange, because I do know that, you know, last, you know, 2020, even though there's a lot of talk about, you know, crypto and the meme token NFTs, it was also last, you know, 2021, I mean, was a big year for uh, IPOs. Roblox, Coinbase, you know, a lot of these, what was the other one too? I think it was Coursera. A lot of these other, you know, was a lot of reminiscent of the dot-com days in the 90s where there was this time for these IPOs. And something specific, especially this new, I think it's SPAC, I think it's called, or SPEC, where, you know, you'd see a large portion of these early venture capitalists are able to, you know, jump into this level of investment. They say, you know, Coinbase is, oh, it's going to launch it. You know, eighty, ninety dollars, or whatever it is, something a hundred, and then it hits the market at three, four hundred dollars. There's an immediate sell-off to where you know the people that buy in right when the IPO goes live to the main market, and then you see this immediate sell-off of it to where you know it drops you know half in value, and then you see hopefully, I mean, the market's been acting crazy, a gradual rise from there. But I think this is something that's been happening in the regular markets, or I should say, traditional, you know asset markets for a long time now where you get these inside investors. And I think that these, you know, these VC guys, you know, said, Hey, you know, how can we sort of take the same model that's been working for us forever and apply it to something like cryptocurrency? I wonder what your thoughts are on that, Jay. Yeah. I mean, this is absolutely sort of 
coming to surface in regards to noticing the pattern. And to say the least, you know, if you look at it's been sort of leaking into coin launches, the thing is that Coinbase has been around for quite some time now that we're starting to be able to see if there is any real upside to actually being listed on Coinbase. And we're starting to get analytics that are coming out that are beyond just a few days, obviously. You know, they're they're months long and and then years long from you know behaviors from the market and who's behind these projects and and then patterns around launches and patterns around you know what happened ultimately uh, down the line and the thing is the numbers that are coming out of these listings are actually quite not in favor of listing your coin on one of these big centralized sort of platforms like uh, Coinbase or, you know, I'm, I mean, I haven't read into other analysis, analysis. Mm-hmm. and things like that, but it sort of caught my attention because there is this myth of when you navigate the DeFi space and, and, and et cetera, everybody's always saying, you know, when this, when that, when this, when that, thinking that this would be the holy grail, but ultimately it's not. I have a question for you, though, too, as well. Is, is that only because I know that sometimes because for a token that actually did have a real ground roots development from the ground up, you know, where it wasn't VC backed. Are those analytics different where they have, you know, being beneficial, being listed on these big exchanges, whereas opposed to, you know, these VC backed tokens that are immediately launched on Coinbase to where they are, you know, sort of set up for, you know, to have that big spike and then for the, the small portion to, you know, take the most of the equity and run off of the profits to where those metrics will obviously be skewed to show that, you know, that's bad performance on these things that get listed as opposed to a project that really is developed from the ground up that has a buildup getting launched on Coinbase. Are those, you know, metrics or those analytics that show more of a positive influence? I'm not sure what your, what your thoughts are on that. Well, unfortunately, I can't really answer to this because I don't have any comparables. But what I can say is, and again, I'm, you know, I, I could be absolutely wrong, but, you know, from my understanding and from what I've been noticing is most of the tokens that are being listed, it is because they're VC backed. So I think that the pool of projects that aren't VC, you know, funded, where you know people are pulling strings and ultimately it's this big massive echo chamber of you know people um it's, it's all the same people and i think the pool of these type of project that you're sort of referencing they could be but i think they're they're just so few of them that i i have a hard time thinking and also let's let's be frank you know one of the main reasons why, let's say, a VC-backed crypto project wants to be listed, and, and again, it comes from your, you know, if, if you understand the sort of 
funding mentality and startup world, if you look at, and this is one of the first thing I sort of noticed, and that's why there was such a crazy, you know, thing on ICOs a couple years ago is when you have these massive LPs uh, that invest in uh, regular startups, their turnaround time on exit would normally be, let's say, seven to 10 years. And these millions of dollars that they put in projects, most of them, they will not recoup their money. And there's going to be this odd one out of 100 that will actually IPO or will be bought. So ultimately, these VCs, they're looking for an exit. I mean, that's, that's the only... That's their entire business model. Exactly. So imagine if you can go in the crypto space and you can almost flip the model around and say, you go and do an IPO even before you have a product even before anything, and then we'll figure it out later. I mean, wouldn't that be great for VCs? You go in, you IPO on day one, you make your money, you dump, and you fucking rinse, wash, and repeat. That's pretty much what it is. And they almost have no chance of a loss, where if you are actually backing a real company, I mean, there actually has to be performance behind it. A product actually has to launch. I mean, you could look at what's going on with something like, you know, not to get political, but something like Truth Social, who's been, you know, which, which had a lot of, you know, potential to be worth tons of money, but then you could see actually executing something is difficult. So therefore, you know, there's risk involved. Or something like this, no one needs to deliver or execute anything. Yeah, absolutely. So without going too much into that rabbit hole, because it is... It is know, a rabbit it, hole. <laughs> it is a rabbit hole. And it is, uh, you know, a subject that I'm quite heavily opinionated around because... This is something that is becoming so blatantly obvious, you know, the pattern. And ultimately, I don't know if recent moves, like if you look at, you know, um, I think it was today is a massive, probably one of the biggest fund that has been uh, raised uh, for crypto. It's actually um, uh, an old um, uh, partner at A16Z. She left uh, because. Obviously, she's seeing this. Uh, her name is Katie Hahn, and she started uh, Hahn Ventures, and she raised $1.5 billion in capital to back crypto startups. So obviously, she, she saw something while she was over there on the Web2 sort of side of things. And now she, you know, she's going into the Web3, fully committed. She raised $1.5 billion, and she wants to back you know, crypto startups. So I think generally speaking, you're going to start seeing migrating a lot of those beyond, you know, executive on the operational side of, of startups, you know, people that are involved in, in traditional startups, but also these, these partners at big VC firms, they're moving away from this tail end of Web2 startups and they're, they're looking into the long play that we don't know when Web3 is going to end. So they basically deep diving and they say, you know what, I'm just going to focus 100% on this. So yeah, this is very interesting. And it's also a very big debate, to be honest. And I think this is something we touched based on. And, uh, you know, and today at Ember and some of the first episodes is this idea of 
these two worlds actually don't work well together in the sense that raising money in DeFi is sort of completely against this idea of being centrally funded by these venture capitalists. Yeah, it's, it's almost, really almost counterproductive. It almost works against of what the actual theory is of something being decentralized. Yeah, and, and sort of spreading the ownership and making sort of a community play rather than a centralized play where you raise funds and you have all these investors which are part of your community and then ultimately you have a real legal entity that owns somewhat this this community and ultimately you wouldn't be wrong to say well who owns what really you know if if there's a, a legal entity where there's let's say 25% of that legal entity that is owned by outside parties and 100% of the token itself so that that digital asset is owned by that legal entity wouldn't that mean that basically you know that whole distribution is somewhat owned by these outside or at least a percentage of these outside and they have such a huge say on on everything it's sort of i don't know i it's it's bizarre i'm wondering jason though is that couldn't technically this because of the way that the defi set up couldn't technically any project sort of be hijacked in this manner i mean let's say technically let's say someone who's worth you know hundreds of millions or even a billion dollars decides to take a small project that where they you know where they have a you know 12 million dollar market cap with say around 4 or 5 cents a share dump 40 million dollars into it where they buy up a large portion of of what's available in circulation and then on their own go out and and shop out to have it listed on some of these, you know, potential projects, you know, potential listings. And then they basically control a large portion of the equity. I mean, is there mechanisms in place to, to prevent something like that? To make sure, I mean, there's that's always, you know, sort of a risk, even when it comes to the stock market. Like if Elon Musk were to dump all of his shares, of course, the, the it would totally sink. But that's not how it works because they borrow against it, et cetera. But I'm just saying, is, is there mechanisms in place to, for protection against that kind of behavior? Well, the sad reality is that there's no protection in the DeFi space. I mean, you can basically do whatever you want. What's guiding any action in decentralized finance is intent. You can be ill-intended and you can do basically whatever you want, or you could be well-intended and, again, do whatever you want. So it's, it's really a matter of transparency. And I think this is where you know a project like Ember becomes so relevant um, on multiple fronts uh, regarding making sure that our intent is, you know, beyond clear, you know, it's, it's transparent, you know, we're, we're not messing around, you know, it's, it's pretty clear what we intend to do and our faces are out there. We're present every week. You know, we're not hiding under a pseudonym. Basically, almost all of our team is is what we could call docs. And I think this is important. You know, you wouldn't 
I mean, if you join a normal startup, like in, in the web through web two world, I mean, how weird would that be to not know who your colleague is? <laughs> yeah, doing business with. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, be like, like horse face like, two, two, three, buddy, zero. Like, yeah. Cam. It's like, serious, like, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Are you playing with me? I, I think also, too, as well, is not only us being docs, us being transparent with our tokenomics, I think also as well as that any initiatives that we decide to go forward with, and I think, you know, I'm not giving, I don't want to put the cart before the horse here because there's some really, I think, compelling and, and very exciting stuff they're going to be doing with staking V2. I don't want to give too much information away from that. But I want to bring this full circle is that the idea is to incentivize behavior that is beneficial to the project as a whole by, you know, rewarding things like, you know, let's say someone was to put a, a large portion of money into Ember. And why would they do so? We're going to incentive, we're going to give them great incentives, but with those incentives becomes mechanisms like staking for X amount of period of time to ensure that these people aren't able to, you know, be able to pump and dump or, or bring so much volatility to the market. And I think that's something that we've always thought through is that when we say, hey, because look, we posted this in the Slack channel where there was some project that was giving like 300,000% APY you know, on, on the project there. But if you, you know, you, you can offer a million percent APY, but if, you know, 80% of the actual circulation is owned by one person who intends on, you know, pulling the rug out on you because there's no transparency on the tokenomics, you know, then it makes no sense. Is that where everything that we do here with Ember is, you know, to bring it, like as you were saying too, is that not only of us being docs and transparent ourselves personally, but also with the tokenomics, also with our methodology and showing about why we incentivize proper behavior in the space to make sure it's really great for the investor, of course, you know, to make sure you know, it's really enticing them to be able to invest, but also protects everyone as a whole as a whole community when it comes to investments as well. And I think that's something that we're doing differently that I think is pretty unique in this space. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we're innovating. I think we're just applying any sort of decent, well-oiled and greased you know, business ethics that exist in your normal business world. Uh, so by doing so, it seems so novel and so weird or different because the space is or has been running so differently. And I feel that there are things that we're experiencing now that I don't think will be so prevalent in a year to two years to three years because, you know, DeFi for some time has been sort of a place, you know, of, un, you know, no regulation. This is a place where, you know, the blockchain is seen as a place where there is so much anonymity that you can do anything and nobody's going to know. And, but ultimately like that part, that feature, let's say, or that part of what crypto is, isn't as big strength. It's what like, people talk about but ultimately the infrastructure that it represents in the next couple of years it'll just be in the background and everything will be the same you know in the, in the sense that the application level will be built on these infrastructure level sort of platforms and you know we're 
doing the same with checkout, you know, where we want to enable, but, you know, you'll never see on our sort of products and services, the, the, the feature or this specification that what we do is about privacy or anonymity. And, you know, that's, that's not our thing. You know, we don't think, yes, there's part of it. And, you know, web two has its flaws, obviously, because it's, you know, infested and everything, um, you know, everybody knows everything, but I think it's beyond this part of privacy. That is the key elements of DeFi. I think I, I couldn't agree more. Actually, there's a great YouTube channel, the the Prof G Show, which sounds like a weird name, but it's a, it's a guy who's really t- teaches um, entrepreneurialism at New York University, and they have a big discussion on on Ethereum and its importance, and where they talk exactly about this this issue is where it's more than just you know this anonymity. That's what gets all the headlines about the fact, because you know with being anonymous comes, of course, nefarious behavior and you know, the, uh, the media loves to sensationalize pretty much everything. So, and that makes a better story than the idea of where these gentlemen that were talking that were very, you know, really in depth of, of their discussion was what industries does something like Ethereum threaten. And they were talking about the insurance industry, which I didn't realize is a little bit, you know, beyond my scope of understanding. If you guys want to check the show out, it's, it's called the Prof G show where they kind of break this down where, you know the idea of having now, especially now that this moving proof of stake is a proof, you know, as opposed to proof of work, is the level of verification processes that has to happen in the insurance world with these contracts, because you know they insure everything from you know JLo's rear to businesses to assets, and you know this the amount of time and effort and and money they spend on having these you know, contracts validated and, you know, the processes they go through, it's something that like Ethereum and the way that it works, and this is a little above my, you know, understanding because I'm not an engineer, shows threats that industry. But that's showing a real utility that can really affect how the world operates. When you're doing, you know, especially a lot of wealth, you know, insurance is everything. I mean, Jason, you understand that too. Liability is, you know, the name of the game when it comes to any kind of wealth management. I mean, yeah. Again, another rabbit hole regarding the actual real potential of blockchain beyond privacy and, you know, all the potential bad use case of privacy. And also, there's a great documentary that had, you know, gained a lot of attention. I think it was last year or the year before that aired on Netflix that, you know, it's all these old execs at Facebook and etc. that came out and said basically that you know their you know privacy did not basically exist. But ultimately, as much as it's it's a hot topic, that ultimately people didn't care so much about privacy. You know, there's this myth of privacy is important, but then again, it's like this constant argument in between well, what, why would I care that people know? I mean, I'm not doing anything bad. I mean, I don't have anything to, you know, I'm like, what are they going to find? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm clean, you know, I'm not doing anything, but it's, it's this thought about, it's not really, are you clean or not? And they're not looking to see if you're good or bad. It's all about metadata. And, you know, when, when you have all this, 
this level of information on everyone, you start being able to basically it's it's getting so good that you think that like Facebook is listening to you. They're not. They just know you so well. They know everyone that you know, and it's like pretty intense. Well, also too, privacy, privacy at a premium. Because, you know, a lot of people might even say to themselves, you know, oh, this idea of, you know, uh, you know, the, they just know so much about us and think it's crazy. But if you were to say, okay, how about this? Would you pay, you know, $10 a month for Facebook if they didn't t- collect any of your data? Well, most people wouldn't. <laughs> that's wouldn't. the thing. Absolutely. That's, that's the thing. Let's um, change let's gears here on. a little bit. So, you know, we, we had a few other subjects that we wanted to touch base on. And I think. Maybe the last one we could maybe address, but it's again, you know, when in doubt, zoom out. It's it's this kind of thing where a lot of people could say that right now we're in sort of a bear market, but ultimately, you know, numbers are coming out. Again, it's all about numbers and it's it's about this this actual zooming out number. And if you look at DeFi, I call it the thirty thousand foot view. When you're yeah, way up I mean, there, have a whole full scope of the whole horizon. Yeah, and, and if you look at the, the total DeFi, total value locked right now, you know, it's it's off about, you know, 16% uh, from the peak. But, you know, the real data that matters is, you know, where was it from last year? And, you know, generally speaking, we're looking at, on an average, 3x from last year. And this is important, you know. Again, to zoom out and to see that, you know, beyond the fact that, yeah, we're always reaching this new all-time high or total, you know, uh, value locked in, in DeFi, and then we're dropping. But that drop is always much higher than, you know, the previous drop. And, you know, I always like to say that today's all-time high is tomorrow's sort of low in the yeah, sense it's, that it's like well, i wish i would have got in then <laughs> yeah exactly so so i think the moral of what i wanted to bring forward is and that's sort of i think for anyone that's been in, in crypto for any moment is you can't play this game and look at charts you know you you just can't uh because i mean i'm not an emotionally driven person but if you are you're going to have bad days if you keep looking at the charts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, you know, generally speaking, what's good with Ember is we have such a big liquidity pool that it's been quite stable when you think about it. Yeah, on the first day it went up, you know, and it settled lower. But ultimately, if you got in in, in any of the, you know, private pre-sale, we're you know we're we're still quite stable around that that sort of initial sort of price when when we did our IDO and and ultimately things are about to like really really start moving you know in terms of market uh, movement and there are things that we're uh, you know going to announce in in the next couple of uh, days and weeks regarding you know these these type of and, and why they would move but check out you know having these built-in 
mechanism for buybacks uh, and ultimately having different projects start using our products, that's, that's going to bring tremendous amount of activity and visibility in, into what we're doing. And people are going to notice that we're not just like this fake utility project, you know, and I like to, and this is something that I shared with the team earlier this week. And this is one of the reasons why we make so much reference to, you know, the, the early 2000 when Stripe sort of began being present on, on the market and, and why, and then there's, there's PayPal as well. Because I, I went into that rabbit hole and, and looked into the genesis of Stripe and you know their their business model and you know how they begun and I saw this thing you know and and it said you know Stripe made a product that relieved users' pain better than any competitor and it struck me how the words of back then because they were looking back at to why you know Stripe is is so popular is that you know payment processing back then was complex as hell and and you know before stripe businesses needed to sort things out on their own you know they needed to build a compliant payment system for their website and that was risky it was expensive and it was an unbearable process so for these small businesses most of the time it was often impossible so what they recognize is that there was a window of opportunity and they enable people to process payments by copy and pasting, you know, seven little lines of codes. And that delighted, you know, the community because it was so simple. You know, uh, Stripe literally made users' lives better. And that's how they earned their love. And ultimately, we're doing exactly the same thing because we're in a moment in Web3 and in crypto and blockchain. It's the same moment as when essentially Stripe launched. They're, they're, they're addressing the exact same problem. They're developing a product that is solving the exact same problem that we are solving in the DeFi space. So there's absolutely no doubt in my mind and in our team's mind that, you know, Ember Checkout will just, it's, it's just going to be an absolute delight for uh, I personally think it's going to be revolutionary myself I mean that's my I might be speaking in hyperbole here but I mean based on what I've seen in the, the marketplace and and what we've designed and how quickly we are able to integrate chains and then what we've shown when it comes to the builder how easily it is able to be you know implemented the level of accessibility I think all these things combined I mean of course there's competitors out there you know I mean there's there's other people you know we're not we're, we're we're not entirely innovating or reinventing the wheel, but we are using you know as you said before best practices when it comes to how to run an actual business. But I think by using all of those elements, I think in my personal opinion, I think it's revolutionary. I don't think anyone else is doing something that's as unique as this in the space. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we're just so excited about this this closed beta. We're bringing this to market. We're working on the full page. You know, beyond the widget. In the background, we're working on the full page flow where, you know, you 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 just drop a, a button, which is sort of a buy button of that token on any website or anywhere. Essentially, it's a payment link in the background of the button. It's a payment link, 
and that can be dropped, you know, anywhere on the project's website. And so they don't have to give away any real estate. I mean, it makes a lot of sense for us, you know, on our hero to have such a big widget to sell our token. But a lot of these projects, they have a message, you know, they want to get out and they have their own utility. So the selling their token is not necessarily their main focus. So they want it to be simply a call to action somewhere on their site or on their sort of nav bar at the top and have a flow uh, from there. When someone clicks, they enter a full page flow where there's like the fields you need to enter and you connect your wallet and, and you have these, these processes that are very, very familiar And that, you know, we believe that that piece of the puzzle will just absolutely, surprisingly, it's going to blow people's mind, you know, in the DeFi space because it does not exist. I mean, yes, you can buy in a regular sort of payment flow your average layer one coins, but, you know, that's not where it's happening. You know, it's not absolutely not where it's happening. You know, it's happening in a DeFi space you know, on all these different chains, you know, right now, I think there's 20 compatible chains. And for each of these chains, any of the projects can use uh, checkout to enable purchases on their website. I mean, how incredible is this? There is nothing like that out there. And also, too, just to, to, for me to play host here just for a minute, Jason, let me interrupt you, is, is that this is not just us speaking, you know, in theoretical terms. You know, if you guys want to be able to, there's there's the information which I I really implore all of you to go onto our YouTube channel or Facebook. We do have. I suggest you watch the entire episode of our season two premiere where you know we talked to James's methodology behind it. But if you just want to see the snippets of this technology, you know, which is our intellectual property working, you know, actually functioning and how easy it is to implement on all of these chains. I mean, this is already available. You know, there's all you know. The projects are able to be able. You know, projects are able to to sign up for the closed beta to be able to use this on their page. But we show you live on air how this is able to work, and we've added even more chains since that debut. So I'd suggest everyone please take a look at it because seeing is believing, and you know this is something that's already proof of concept. This is already working. This is not just pie in the sky of wait till you see what we deliver. This is here now. I did want to add too is what you were talking about being up from last year of, of because it's all about perspective when you come to something emotional. And there is something I just want to add to before we sign off from here. I know we've been going on here for about an hour and a half. And you know, Jason and I, I don't know if we love hearing each other talk or just talking to each other. I hope you guys have been enjoying this as well. And if you guys do want to ask a question or something, you know, please let us know before we get out of here. But I would like to show some perspective is that, you know, also with crypto and the stock market, when it comes to these sort of assets, over a long enough timeline, if you're not an emotional investor, if you have a diverse enough portfolio, no one's ever lost money. If you look at the stock market, with the Dow or the NASDAQ, and you pull it back, you know, 30, 50 years, 20 years, 10 years ago, yes, you're going to see, you know, there's going to be peaks and valleys, of course. But over a long enough timeline, no one has ever lost money. Yes, there's going to be emotional investments out. Sometimes companies don't make it. 
of course, you know, you make some losses, but with a diverse enough portfolio, when it comes to these markets as a whole, over a long enough timeline, it's always been a winner. And I think that also goes back originally to what where our original conversation with Jason and I was talking about ApeCoin, et cetera, is that were these some of these assets, I guess you could call them, were not designed with longevity in mind. And I think that, you know, in comparison to something that what we're doing here at Ember is everything that we're doing from the ground up has built with longevity as a real, you know, pillar of what our business model is. That we want to see Ember to be more than just a token. We want to see Ember to be that really does hopefully becomes a household name at one point. And we, that's obviously not going to happen overnight. Of course, there's been successes where that does happen. You know, there's been other, some other, you know, people in the space. I'm not going to name names who, you know, just kind of blew up out of nowhere. We're not sure what their, you know, end result's going to be. But I think that what's most importantly, especially with Jason's guidance and Andrew, you guys being co-CEOs and the experience you guys have really sets us apart to where we're not always following trends. We're aware of them. That's what our discussions are about. But that we really have, you know, focus on the long term. And I think that really sets us apart. Yeah, absolutely. So I know you had a few questions, uh, Rob, from our community. Yeah, I mean, just just a couple with the Discord. I mean, we kind of addressed a little bit of it when it comes to Ember Checkout. You know, if you guys are still working in the background, we've obviously we've obviously talked about that. And they want to know really that what I'm seeing a lot too is about what is our strategy to be able to reach projects. What are we going about? I think that is you know the, the common theme or common spread that I'm seeing here about what I think what, what our strategy is to reach projects, what we're the way we're going about it, and how you know how we're going to turn that into some conversions into being actual customers. Well, that's a question for you, Rob. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's well, hey, I hate asking the question myself and then answering it. I would like your insight <laughs> on it too as well, but I, I, I would like to tell you guys too is when it comes to Amber Checkout, I think that we're taking an approach that where our internal team that are not salespeople, you know, they do have relationships with, with different members and different communities. We're obviously leveraging those relationships. I think also too, most importantly, is that our partnerships with people like Hacken and Wire, also too, that we have such a good relationship with them. In addition, not next week, but the week after that, I will be attending the Bitcoin conference here in Miami. I'm fortunate enough to be where it's local, so it's able for me to attend. There'll be a lot of networking events where we can talk to certain projects a lot of which already have relationships with our partners. And it's a great opportunity for us to network with them. It's a beneficial relationship for all of us. In addition, we're also going to be doing joint marketing and PR campaigns with our partners and also on our own when it comes to articles that'll be written and how we get traction on those articles. And we're going to be doing more than just paid articles because as we've seen with other things in the past, you know, not necessarily with us, but with other projects when it comes to a paid article, you know, that ends up, you know, at the bottom of some page somewhere, costs a fortune to do so. Readership is very small. And thankfully, this has helped with our partners, you know, with these other organizations about how they go about their PR campaign and marketing strategy. We're going to be able to utilize those tools as well. So we're going to be able to have a, a wide net casted 
about how we attract users uh, and how we attract um, potential projects to be able to take advantage of this. Because in reality, it's, it's a no-risk investment on their part to where the benefits you know, outweigh any possible doubt they might have of how it could benefit them. So I think that's kind of the strategy we're going to be taking upon on that. The other question I have also is a lot of people are talking about the app and also, too, for V2 staking. I know that there are some discussions about that. I, I, I don't want to deliver too much on that, but a lot of people are asking, is there an update on the application? When can we be seeing that? And what are we seeing in the future when it comes to these all deliverables happening at the same time? Yeah, well, maybe I can answer most of these questions, you know, directly or indirectly. Let's let let me sort of kill a couple birds uh, with uh, one stone. stone. And by the way, no animal has been armed uh, harmed (laughs) while doing this. Um, (laughs) Poor birds, bro. We uh, just onboarded. We just um, hired basically. And uh, maybe we can share this in the socials, his profile and, and, you know, et cetera. We, we just hired um, a new senior uh, software engineer that has incredible smart contract experience. So we want to start, uh, you know, doing uh, internal work around this. Uh, and he's worked on probably one of the most popular wallet out there Um and uh, which is Phantom, the Phantom wallet. He's also been, you know, working on the XDeFi wallet as the lead software engineer. Andy has just joined our uh, team. And so he's just getting into speed. And basically, yeah, we just brought in, you know, an A-team player to help us uh, move forward. He believes in our project. He's uh, signed, you know, he's, you know, uh, did, an employee did, for long term. Did you did you want to uh, kind of touch base? I think his his story is also uh, pretty unique about how he became part of organization. Where I think that that really speaks volumes about what Ember is doing. Yeah, I mean, if it's an, of of interest of you know to, to anyone, I mean, he you know we didn't head hunt him; he head hunted us. He went and came towards us, and you know, as you know, we have. Raphael, which is our head of people and culture, and he's had his you know work cut out. <laughs> you know, he's, he's been getting for most of the employment opportunities that we put out there. We've been getting hundreds and hundreds of of resumes in, and yeah, it's just such a yeah. There's so much work to do in filtering, you know, all the great candidates. But yeah, it's 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 a very humbling experience to. Um, to see that there's so many people that are interested in being part of this journey. And I think it's, it's again, you know, we're, we're getting signals from many directions that what we're doing is very exciting. And on the, you know, on the human resource side, we're getting a, a signal from there as well, you know, that what we're doing can attract world-class talent. And this is always one of the, hardest thing to do is is attracting you know you want to build something revolutionary you want to you know um, your ambitions are beyond big but you know who's going to be part of that journey with you you know who's going to 
believe in in what you're you're you know building and your aspiration your vision your mission ultimately if it does not attract anyone then it's going to be much harder like it's going to be so much harder but if you're able to attract world class talent it makes things so much easier it's not you know it's not you know you're you're you, you nothing is won in advance but you know you know montreal is a you know is a hockey team you know where we're in a hockey market and uh, you know if you're in a football market or if you're in a whatever market it's all about the people you have on your team if you want to win the championship you know and, there's and hardly anyone that won you know a world I, I title on chance <laughs> we need to build a world class team and yeah so and i have to say too as well i can speak from from personal experience where i you know i've done recruitment in the back, you know before and for those that are aware i've talked about this ad nauseum at this point where i've cut my teeth in the video game you know publishing area and i have still connections in there where you know i've you know talked to people where there's been projects or games that have been announced that they've had to push back years back because they cannot bring on the proper candidates because of the fact that not only when it comes to you know they believe in their vision but when it comes to their company culture you know when they have you know things in the in the ether when it comes to publications about you know how difficult it is to work there or the type of people you're working for all of these things attribute to how difficult it is to bring on candidates and these are you know huge i'm not going to you know name names that have been very successful when it comes to their financials but now they're having a very difficult time being able to when it comes to recruitment bringing on proper candidates so it speaks volumes that an organization like ourselves that is very small, that you know, really has a really great vision, but there's a little bit of, little of uncertainty there. But because of what we're doing is so exciting and the people they're able to work with and the culture that we have is driving, you know, by droves. I mean, going through hundreds of candidates, you know, resumes and people reaching out, where there's major organizations out there with a long track record where people are like, nope. I don't think I'm gonna. I don't think I want to apply. I don't care what you offer me. What I've heard, I don't want to be involved, and that's that's a big issue for them. But and but it speaks volumes about what we're doing. And I think part of the reason is that is the level of transparency we have. You know, our personalities. You know, even when we had that first first meeting. You know, when it came to you know you know bringing our newest hire on, that you know how welcoming we were and our conversations around that. And I think that's why we're able to attract talent. Amongst the other things as such as that we're doing, so it's very exciting. The other question I've been getting a lot too is, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to answer this one myself really quickly. A lot of people are asking about the ambassador program when it comes to Ember Checkout. I'll be making those announcements very soon, so uh, be excited about that. That's that's the question I can answer easily. We'll get into that in depth at some point. The other one too, yeah, Jason, and, I'm seeing and, a lot. And, and also, for those who did not know, we've also... Um, put someone in place to lead that part of our business. You know, this shows how we're serious about the ambassador program. And I think um, he's actually here. I don't know if he's available to speak, but ultimately this is a huge part of where we intend on, you know, taking our business. And it's, it's under this big arc, which we call Ember Live. And Ember Life is, 
you know, it's, it's so much things, uh, that obviously can get very noisy, but it begins with having ambassadors for this. What again, you know, uh, Rob says that is revolutionary. I believe it's, you know, it could be so much more, even though it's great. Um, but you know, we, we have this in, in, in the ambassador program will go beyond checkout. We'll go really about this, this company culture and attracting people in our ecosystem. And yes, it's a, it it will be sooner than later, a true ecosystem. You know, we're having talks in the background about, you know, so many different angles of how we're going to tackle this this ecosystem, even now, you know, uh, in 20 minutes, I'm, I'm kicking off a new project with uh, Superside, which is all about building a framework and a design language for this ecosystem that is, uh, uh, you know, um, that is, that is, that can evolve through time and be forever expandable. So that's truly exciting because Ember Checkout needs some sort of tone and voice to itself. But we're about to bring on many new things that we feel will need their own sort of tone and voice and will disrupt the market with their own unique set of features. And then, I don't know, uh, Evan, if you have a few seconds to to jump in, Crypto Doctor House, but uh, Evan recently got this promotion where He's now, uh, you know, slowly getting into this role and we're going to be designing, you know, the, the, the program in itself and we can't wait to bring it out, you know, but ultimately to be an ambassador of something, you know, you, you need to have something. So our focus as much as is, you know, it's on these peripheral and adjacent initiatives we can't lose focus on checkout and you know our other products that are are, are scheduled to be worked on. So um, for someone to be an ambassador, there needs to be something to uh, be an ambassador about. So um, yeah. Before we wrap up, Jay, I think also too as an addition, I think this is going to um, really set the tone of what our today at Amber Live podcast is going to be because this has been. I think um, um, very insightful and, and fun to do, and the flow is fantastic. Do you want to make any comments? I know that we have some announcements coming up soon when it comes to you know version two of staking. You know, I don't like to talk too much about it because sometimes I give too much away, and you and you're, you always kind of wrap my ears a little bit about being like, "Don't say too much," because we want to excite people. Is there any? Because I see a lot of people asking about that. Any kind of tidbits or little sneak peeks that you may want to want to drop to the community before we get out of here? Well, I mean, I did have this two bird, one stone thing where we hired, you know, a smart contract developer, you know, a senior engineer, and he's working full time, 40, 60 hours a week. So yeah, I mean, it's on the agenda. And ultimately, I don't want to reveal too much. And Luckily, you you did ask me, Rob, <laughs> before saying anything. <laughs> um, you're, 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 but as you know, we're 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 always trying to make you know Ember attractive, but not for the wrong reasons. So um, I keep a a very uh, 
very attentive and um, uh, yeah, a very attentive eye on everything that has to do with uh, staking for sure in the next couple of weeks. Absolutely. Well, listen, guys, it's been a real pleasure. Normally, this would be done as a podcast form. We love seeing you guys on Twitter Spaces. We'll obviously be making adjustments. Uh, I think we may actually have this as a recording when it comes to the podcast. We want to know what your thoughts are or opinions about what we're talking about. I know a lot of our audience is sometimes shy when it comes to you know being live on air. But as you said, our Discord channels, our Twitter, uh, we're always available. Please reach out to us anytime. Comments, suggestions, feedbacks, questions. We're always going to be here for you guys. Jay, it's been a real pleasure. I know that we've uh, spent some time here today, but it's, I think it's been really insightful. And I think this is a great format going forward with, with everything that we do and communicating to the public when it comes to our Ember community. All right. Thanks, Rob. Looking forward to next week. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Today at Ember. If you like the show, please rate and review. You can find us on all of the major podcasting platforms. You can also tune in to our live stream on YouTube and subscribe to our channel. Thanks again for listening and see you on the next episode.